Bible reads in Mark chapter 10, verse 32, they were on the road going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus was walking on ahead of them, and they were amazed. And those who followed were fearful. And again he took the twelve aside, and he began to tell them what was going to happen to him. He said, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes. And they will condemn him to death, and will hand him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him, and spit on him, and scourge him, and kill him. And three days later, he will rise again. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for the presence and power of the Holy Spirit among us. I ask that you would anoint my lips of clay to preach the word of the living God. And I ask you to anoint this congregation to receive that word in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Tonight puede tomar su lugar esta noche. I would like to speak on this Good Friday on the resolution of our Savior or the resolve of our Savior. Quiero hablar esta noche sobre el hecho de que nuestro Salvador es un Salvador resoluto. I say the word resolve because there was nothing that could change the mind of Christ concerning the cross. Uh, usamos la palabra resoluto porque no había nada que pudiera cambiar la mente de nuestro Señor en su caminar, su marcha hacia la cruz. We read here the words that are descriptive of the Passion Week. Leemos aquí las palabras que describen la Semana Santa, la Semana de la Pasión de Nuestro Señor. And these words are coming from His mouth in a prophetic message. Sus palabras salen de la misma boca del Señor en una, un mensaje profético. Jesus prophesied uh, His own death and His own resurrection in detail. Cristo aquí lo vemos Profetizando su muerte y su resurrección en detalle. This is so that you and I will know and understand that the death of Christ was not an accident and it was not God's last ditch effort to save the world, but it was the plan of God from the beginning. Esto es para que usted y yo entendamos que el plan de la salvación no es un plan establecido uh, o no es un plan que ocurrió a través de un accidente histórico ni tampoco es el resultado del de el último esfuerzo de Dios para salvar al mundo sino que es el plan de Dios desde el principio de las edades. Jesus here the Bible says is walking toward Jerusalem. Aquí vemos a Jesús caminando rumbo hacia Jerusalén and something is different. Lo vemos caminando, pero algo es diferente. The Bible says that the people that were walking with him noticed a few things. Los que caminaban con él notaban algunas cosas. First of all, they noticed that Jesus was walking ahead of them. Primero, ellos vieron a Jesús caminando adelante de ellos. This they found to be strange. Esto era algo uh, asombroso. And it says there that they were amazed. Jesus was not one to walk by himself in front of the crowd, but usually he was with the crowd. 
Jesús no normalmente caminaba adelante o enfrente, sino que caminaba con sus discípulos. No doubt he was the leader. Sin duda él era el líder. And he was calling the shots. Él era el que determinaba las cosas. But on this occasion, he was apart. En esta ocasión, él está aparte. He's going on ahead of them. He's going on before them. Va adelante de ellos. And they found this to be unusual. The second reaction they had was that they were afraid. La segunda reacción de ellos, algunos se admiraban, otros, los que entendían un poco más, dice la Escritura, que tenían miedo. What was it about Jesus? What was it about his, his demeanor, his, his disposition, about his, his attitude that made them amazed and afraid? ¿Qué era lo, de, lo del carácter y la actitud y la disposición de nuestro Señor que comunicaba temor y también admiración. The reason that they saw this difference in Christ was that he was bearing, no doubt in his mind, the great weight of what was about to take place. Sin duda, él cargaba en su mente el gran peso de las cosas que vendrían delante de él en esta semana. He understood that within a few days he would be the sacrifice for sin. Él entendía que dentro de unas, uh, unos días él sería el sacrificio para el pecado. No doubt this weighed heavily upon his mind. Sin duda esto era algo pesado sobre la mente de nuestro Salvador. You can imagine if you and I go through moments or seasons of great decision when we bear a great burden or we carry a great responsibility and make important decisions that often we find the need to be alone, to be able to think and to process what's going on. Sin duda, todos nosotros hemos pasado momentos o épocas de nuestra vida cuando hemos tenido mucha responsabilidad, una gran decisión y hemos tenido que buscar un tiempo aparte para pensar, para procesar las cosas. This is no doubt what Jesus is doing. Sin duda, esto es lo que Jesús está haciendo. Él está enfocado. He is focused on the task. Él está enfocado sobre la tarea que está delante de Él. And we read here that the Bible says that Jesus was walking or going on the road up to Jerusalem. And we see in that the resolution of Christ because how many of us If we were told you're going to die in Jerusalem, would say, you know what, I'm going to San Antonio. I'm going to stay as far away from Jerusalem as possible. Uh, sin duda, si alguien nos dijere, vas a, ir, vas a morir en Jerusalén, usted y yo buscaríamos estar en San Antonio, otra ciudad más aparte, un lugar lejos del de lugar de nuestra muerte. But Jesus is walking toward Jerusalem. His resolve is unshakable. Su, resulta, su resuelto es inmovible. In Matthew chapter 16 verse 23, we read about Peter's attempt to stop him. En San Mateo 16, 23, leemos de el esfuerzo de Pedro para querer detener al Salvador de ir a Jerusalén. He said, no, under no circumstances can you go to Jerusalem. And Jesus said to him, get thee behind me, Satan. You are not, uh, you are a stumbling block to me and you do not have the mind that concerns, uh, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. 
Jesús le dice a Pedro, cuando lo, Pedro lo quiere detener, le dice, atrás, párate detrás de mí, Satanás, porque no tienes en mente las cosas de Dios, sino simplemente cosas humanas. Jesus had a resolution. He was going to do the Father's will. He was concerned about what concerned the heart of God. Él estaba resuelto porque su mente estaba enfocada en aquellas cosas que conciernen al corazón de Dios. He said, Peter, you don't have your mind in the right place. Pedro, tú no tienes tu mente en el lugar adecuado. Do you realize, church, that there are days when you and I are tempted to keep our mind on human concerns? Hay días cuando somos tentados de vivir simplemente enfocados en las cosas uh, uh, de este mundo, en las cosas humanas, en las cosas que conciernen a nuestra humanidad. But God often calls us to think about eternal things. Dios nos llama a pensar de las cosas eternas. There are things that concern the heart of God. Si hay cosas que conciernen al corazón de Dios. Things that God demands that we give greater value to in our daily life. Cosas que Dios demanda que deben tener mayor valor en nuestra vida. Y Cristo es nuestro ejemplo. Christ is our example of prioritizing the things of God above the things of this world. Cristo es nuestro ejemplo de cómo poner la prioridad sobre nuestro Señor y sobre su deseo y voluntad y encima de este mundo. How are you this Good Friday? Is your mind on the things of God? Have you a desire to serve Him, to please Him, to honor Him? Or have you thoughts that are of the world, thoughts about human concerns? Whenever you prioritize human concerns above, above heavenly concerns, you'll always find trouble. Because the Bible said that the, the things of this world, the, the concern for riches and the worries of this world choke out the word of God. Jesus, our example, teaches us to live first by God's concerns. And he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these other things will be added unto you. Say amen, somebody. Jesús nos enseña a vivir con la prioridad del cielo y nos dice buscar primeramente el reino de Dios y su justicia y todas estas cosas serán dadas por añadidura. God will add the things to your life that concern human things if you will prioritize heavenly things. Say amen again. In Luke chapter 12, verse 50, we see the resolution of Christ again. In Lucas 12, 50, vemos de nuevo el resuelto de nuestro Señor. Look what the Bible says there. Jesus said, I have a baptism to undergo. He's not talking about uh, going and being baptized in water. Jesús dice ahí, tengo un bautismo por el cual yo tengo que pasar. Él no está hablando en el, del bautismo en agua. He says, I'm having, I have a baptism I must undergo. And what constraint do I have until it is complete? Él dice, yo tengo que pasar un bautismo y no hay que me pueda robar la atención, no hay que me constriña hasta que esto sea cumplido. Nothing constrains me until this is complete. 
Jesus lived a life on assignment. Jesús vivió una vida que estaba viviendo en la asignación que Dios le había dado. Nothing would be able to deviate from the plan of God in his mind. Nada lo podía desviar del plan de Dios en su vida. Would not be the recipe for a powerful Christian life for you and I to live and say what constrains me in this world until I have done the will of God, until I have fulfilled my assignment. Esa es la receta para una vida cristiana, la vida que dice que me detiene en este mundo hasta que yo cumpla el propósito de Dios en mi vida. And in Luke chapter 9, verse 53 we see again the resolve of our Savior. Una vez más en Lucas capítulo 9, verso 53, dice que el dio su rostro como hacía Jerusalén. It says his face was as though he was going to Jerusalem. Su rostro estaba dedicado, volteado hacia Jerusalén. His face was looking toward Jerusalem. It's a it's an expression of where his attention was. Es una expresión de donde estaba su atención. You imagine that your children are playing and uh, and someone is trying to talk to you. Maybe you're at a public park. Quizá sus hijos están jugando en un parque público. Y ellos están corriendo y jugando. They're playing, they're running, they're doing their, their thing, the thing that they want to do at a park. And someone on the other side is trying to tell you about about their their other uh, their other concerns and you're listening but your focus is on that child y mientras alguien más le habla y le quiere hablar de sus propios um, asuntos usted está oyendo pero su mente su ojo está en el niño you're saying uh-huh 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 usted está viendo hacia el niño ¿por qué? porque aunque usted está oyendo acá Usted sabe que hay una prioridad acá. Why? Because you understand that although someone is drawing my attention, I have a priority. There's something higher. There's something greater. Jesus had set his heart and his face toward Jerusalem. I can imagine that Peter and the disciples oftentimes were talking about, oh, weren't those some good enchiladas we just had? And wasn't that a great cabrito we just had? And he's like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. He's looking toward Jerusalem. There's a commitment, a dedication of our Savior to get to the cross. Él tiene una dedicación al llegar a la cruz. Almost anyone would be looking for the exit. He's not. Cualquiera estuviera buscando la salida. La puerta de salida, la excusa para salir. He's looking, anyone would be looking for a good excuse. But not Christ. He's resolved to go to the cross. Él está resuelto ir a la cruz. And we see what he says about what's coming. The Bible said that he pulled the twelve aside and he began to tell them what was going to happen. Luego dice la escritura que él llamó a los doce al lado y les dijo las cosas que estaban para suceder. He says, behold, we are going to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. And he will be handed over to the Gentiles. 
Now let's study that this evening. First of all, it says that he would be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes. You'll remember in the studies and readings you've done about the Passion Week that Christ was arrested on Thursday night. By 9 a.m. on Friday morning, he was on the cross. By 3 p.m. that Friday afternoon, he was removed from the cross, a dead body, and placed in the tomb. By this hour on the day of our Lord's crucifixion, he had already suffered the trials and the agony of death. It began with his arrest. Comenzó con el arresto de nuestro Señor, and he was taken to the priest. Fue llevado al sumo sacerdote de Israel. Why was this necessary? ¿Por qué fue esto necesario? Jesus was and had to go before the chief priest because he was the Lamb of God. Jesús fue delante del sumo sacerdote. ¿Por qué? Porque él era el Cordero de Dios. If you study the Old Testament, you study the book of Leviticus, you'll discover that lambs were offered in the temple at 9 a.m. and at 3 p.m. The Lamb of God, our Lamb, our Passover, would be offered by the, the chief priests of the nation of Israel. The Gospel of John gives us more detail as to the reason for this. In John chapter 11, verse 15 it says, do you not realize, this is the chief priest speaking. Listen to what the chief priest said. The high priest said, do you not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish? Caiaphas did not say this on his own. Instead, as the high priest, he was prophesying that Jesus would die for the nation. And not only the nation, but also for the scattered children of God. Dice ahí en Juan capítulo 11, verso 51, que él fue llevado delante del sumo sacerdote. Y esta es la razón. El sumo sacerdote dijo estas palabras. No reconocen ustedes que es mejor que un hombre muera por toda la nación y que no todos perezcan. Y dice ahí el escritor, Caifas dijo esto no de sí mismo, sino porque él era el sumo sacerdote y profetizaba que Cristo moriría por la nación y no solamente la nación de Israel, pero todos los escarriados hijos de Dios. Now in the Old Testament you brought the lamb to the priest. And the priest uh, is in particular on the day of atonement would take his hands and he would lay them upon the sacrifice and he would pronounce the sins of the nation of Israel upon that sacrifice and he would say, you are going to be the sacrifice for the sins of this nation. And then that, that offering was brought before the living God. Now we see Caiaphas, the high priest of Israel, and he is not understanding what he's doing, but he is operating in his prophetic role as a high priest. And he says to those who were scheming and planning the arrest of Jesus. And he says, look, it's better for one man to die for the whole nation than for all of us to perish. He was trying to keep Rome out of their affairs because he knew that Rome could come in and decimate the entire nation of Israel. So he's speaking in political terms. 
But he didn't realize that his words had a higher meaning. He didn't realize that Jesus, the Lamb of God, had come not just to die for a few disciples that he had spent some time with, but he had come to die for the nation of Israel and for all of the scattered children of God. And this was prophesied by the high priest before whom Christ would appear. Then the Bible said that he was brought before the Gentiles. This lamb would suffer arrest and trial, not only in a Jewish court, but also in a Gentile court. Ahora vemos que él fue llevado delante de los gentiles. Y aquí vemos que nuestro Señor sería, pasaría corte, no solamente entre los judíos, pero también los gentiles. And if you go to the Gospel of Luke, with me, si usted va a San Lucas, el capítulo 23, ahí vamos a leer en el verso 13, we'll read there in verse 13, Luke chapter 23, verse 13, the Bible says that Pilate summoned the chief priests and the rulers and the people, and he said to them, you brought this man to me as one who incites the people to rebellion, and behold, Having examined him before you, I found no guilt in this man regarding the charges which you have made against him. Nor has Herod, for he has sent him back to us. And behold, nothing deserving of death has been done by him. Therefore, I will punish him and release him. Now we see our Lord come before the Gentiles. For what purpose? ¿Por qué propósito viene nuestro Señor delante de los gentiles? First of all, he came to be pronounced innocent of sin. Primero, él viene para ser pronunciado como inocente de pecado. His, his executioner says, I have found no fault with him. Su, el hombre, el cual lo va a poner a muerte, dice, yo lo he examinado y no he encontrado ninguna falla en él digna de este, de este castigo o de esta acusación. The second reason he goes before the Gentiles, la segunda razón que él va delante de los gentiles, is because going for, the, for a Jew to go under the Gentiles was to be under the judgment of God. La segunda razón es esta, que un judío estar bajo los gentiles era un juicio de Dios. We read about it once in the life of David. Lo leemos un día en la vida de David. David sinned against the Lord. David pecó contra Jehová. And God gave him options. Dios le dio opciones. And he said one of the options is for you to be uh, under the hands of your enemies. And or you can come under the judgment of the Lord. Uh, David se le dio opción cuando él había pecado. O caes bajo la mano de tus enemigos, los gentiles, o caes bajo la mano de Jehová. And he said, let me fall under the hand of God. Because if I fall under the hand of my enemy, there will be nothing left of me. David dice, déjame caer bajo la mano de Jehová. Porque si caigo bajo la mano de mi enemigo, no me dejará nada. This was a David's 
opportunity to understand. Aquí David entiende que el juicio de Dios es mucho mejor que el juicio del de mundo. David understood that the judgments of the Lord are far better than the judgment of this world. But God said to Israel in Deuteronomy 28, Verse 64, Dios le dijo a, a Israel en Deuteronomio 28, 64, que si, si se apartaban de Jehová, Jehová los desparramaría sobre la faz de la tierra y estarían entre las naciones gentiles. He said there that if Israel would disobey, they would be scattered to the ends of the earth. And that they would be among the peoples of the nations without rest. That's precisely what happened when the nation of Israel finally reached its due date that God sent them into exile and the Jews came under the judgment of Babylon, then Persia, then Rome. Jesus had to come under judgment. He would be sent to the exiles because he himself was the representative of man. Cristo tenía que pasar este mismo juicio, ser pasado por la mano de los gentiles, ¿por qué? Porque Él es el representante de los hombres. He was exposed to wrath and judgment under the Gentiles. Fue expuesto a la ira y el juicio de los gentiles. Siendo varón perfecto, being the perfect man, yet He is now, by choice, by will, Coming under the judgment of the Almighty God. Aquí lo vemos voluntariamente ponerse bajo el juicio del Dios Todopoderoso. He's going to be judged by people who are outside the covenant family of God. Juzgado por personas fuera de la, de el pacto, la familia, uh, uh, el pacto familiar del pueblo de Dios. And there's a third reason for this. Una tercera razón por esto. He was put under the judgment of the Gentiles or delivered over to the Gentiles so that he would be literally crucified. Fue puesto número tres bajo el juicio de los gentiles para ser crucificado. Jesus had to die a crucifixion death. Jesús tenía que morir una muerte de crucificación. Now, if only the Jews had judged him, they would have stoned him to death like they did Stephen. Si los judíos solamente lo hubieran juzgado, lo hubieran apedreado a muerte, así como los judíos apedrearon a, a Esteban. And just as many people were stoned because of their violation of the law of Moses. Así como muchos más fueron apedreados, Jesus could not die a death by stoning. Jesús no podía morir una muerte por ser apedreado because the Bible said that they would pierce him in Psalm, uh, in Psalm 22 that they would pierce him in his hands and his feet. Dice el Salmo 22 uh, que él sería, uh, él sería herido en sus manos y en sus pies. Así que antes, uh, uh, antes de la vida y la muerte de nuestro Señor su crucificación fue profetizada his crucifixion was prophesied by David almost a thousand years before the crucifixion was invented by the Romans Jesús uh, su, su crucificación fue profetizada por el salmista mil años antes que, él, uh, que los romanos inventaran la cruz 
He had to be taken under Gentile judgment so that he could be crucified. So that he could fulfill the plan of God to the last detail. Él tenía que cumplir el plan de Dios hasta el último detalle. We read further. And Jesus says, I will be handed over to the Gentiles and they will mock him and spit on him and scourge him and kill him. Jesus is walking toward a painful and excruciating death. He says they will mock him. This speaks of humiliation. Esto habla de la humillación. La humillación lo van a, se van a burlar de él. How many times does the believer wince when mocked or, or criticized for their faith? ¿Cuántas veces uh, nos, las, nos lastima los sentimientos cuando alguien se burla de nosotros por nuestra fe? But there is a mocking that occurs on the life of Christ, a man who was least of all men, worthy of mocking. El hombre menos entre todos los hombres, digno de ser burlado. This was the creator who created the world in incredible wisdom. This was the lawgiver whose law is able to set men on the righteous path. This was the one who walked in holiness before men. There was nothing about him to mock or criticize or laugh about. And he said they will mock him. Nada de cual burlarse de nuestro Salvador, nuestro Creador, el dador de la ley, el, más, el hombre más perfecto. Sin embargo, fue burlado. And then he says they will spit on him. Luego dice, escupirán sobre de él. This was an act of humiliation, un acto de humillación. To be reduced to, to next to nothing. Ser reducido al nada. Then they will scourge him. You and I would think of that as a whip. Luego lo van a, lo van a golpear. Y usted quizá, y yo pensaríamos en eso. Otro acto de humillación. Yet another act of humiliation. If you study Roman law, you remember or understand that the Romans did not allow Someone to be scourged who was a citizen. Only a slave could be whipped. And here you have our Savior to be scourged as a slave. Even the law of Moses forbid it. It forbade that you or I should be uh, cruel to animals. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs that a righteous man looks after the well-being of his beast. The law forbade the beating of a beast and here you have the Lamb of God our Savior scourged. And then he would die. They would kill him. Our Savior would die as a ransom for many. This too was prophesied by the prophet in Isaiah chapter 53 And the Bible begins speaking in verse 4. And it says, Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities and the chastening of our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging we are healed. 
I think we can get a better amen than that. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall upon him. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that is silent before its shears. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And for his generation he was considered. That he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people. To whom the stroke was due. His grave was assigned with wicked men. Yet he was with a rich man in his death. Because he had done no violence. Nor was there any deceit in him. And in chapter 50, verse 6, Isaiah says, He gave his back to the smiters and his cheek to those who pulled out his beard. And he hid not his face from the shame and spitting. Why would anyone be so resolute? ¿Por qué será que alguien... Estaría resoluto to walk, to march toward that. Caminar, marchar hacia eso. We cringe just reading it. Nos conmueve solamente leerlo. Él lo experimentó. He not only read it, he experienced it. And yet, we don't see him bat an eye concerning it. No lo vemos ni solamente un momento de tener su resuelto de esto. Yo voy a Jerusalem. I am going to Jerusalem. Why? What is motivating the resolution, the resolve of the Savior? ¿Qué es lo que, qué es lo que motiva El resuelto de nuestro Señor. I believe there are three things that motivated his resolve. Tres cosas, creo, están en la Escritura que motivan a nuestro Señor. It wasn't the cross. No era la cruz, because the cross was the image of our sin. And so it wasn't about going to the cross. It was about what lay beyond the cross. No era la cruz misma, sino porque la cruz es el imagen de nuestro pecado. Y él no se puede regocijar en el pecado. He could not rejoice in sin, but there was something beyond the cross which brought him great joy. Había algo detrás de la cruz que nos trajo, que le trajo gran resuelto, gran gozo. If you have your Bible still open in Isaiah 53, verse 10, read it with me. And if you don't, open it up and look at this. Mire ahí, fíjese ahí, Isaiah 53, 10. It says, but the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see the offspring. He will see his offspring and he will prolong his days and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. 
as a result of the anguish of his soul. He will see it. What's the it there? The it in verse 11 is the offspring of verse 10. Look at what, what's going on on the cross. Isaiah tells us what the, what the Messiah is thinking on the cross. And it says that he was crushed and he was put to grief and he was rendered a guilt offering. And he would see his offspring. In other words, on the cross, Jesus saw the sinner that would be saved by his grace. Desde la cruz, nuestro Salvador, expuesto a esta aflicción, vio su fruto. He saw you. And he saw me. And look at what it says. Here's why I want you to have this in your Bible, because I want you to underline it. As a result of the anguish of his soul, as a result of the cross, he will see it. Who's the it? That's you. And be what? Satisfied. Jesus from the cross saw the sinner saved by his power and grace. He saw the believer come into sonship and he was satisfied. Él vio ahí de la cruz el pecador redimido y salvo. Lo vio hecho hijo de Dios y dice que fue satisfecho. You and I can answer a question tonight. Is God satisfied with you? And when you look to the cross, you say, yes, he is satisfied with me. Come on, somebody. Jesus, look beyond the torture of the cross. To the sinner saved by his mercy. And he was satisfied. Maybe you and I would have said, that's what I get. For all this trouble, for all this grief. But he loved you and he loved me. And he did not. The Bible said God did not hold back his own son. But he exposed him to the cross out of love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Come on, if you have found the satisfaction of the Savior, shout hallelujah. God is smiling over the believer tonight. Before you were born, he knew you. And he loved you. Before you had committed sin, he had made a sacrifice for sin on your behalf. That's why his face is toward Jerusalem. Because the reward of his suffering is a family. The book of Hebrews says he was bringing many sons to glory. Dice el libro de Hebreos que él estaba trayendo muchos hijos a gloria. I thank God today that I am one of the sons that Jesus has brought to glory. Because of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're one of those sons, shout amen. 
The second reason. Hebrews chapter 1. La segunda razón. Por el resuelto de nuestro Señor. Hebreos capítulo 1. The Bible tells us. I'll get to Hebrews 1, 6 in a moment. Hebreos 1, 6. Ahí llego en un momento. But the Bible tells us that when Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane. And he said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. The Bible said that the angels came and ministered to him. Cuando él estaba en Getsemaní agonizando, dice la escritura que los ángeles vinieron o un ángel vino y le, le ministró. Now the question is, what could an angel possibly do for Jesus? ¿Qué pudiera un ángel posiblemente hacer para el Salvador? He doesn't need anyone. Él no necesita a nadie. Say amen, somebody. He is the omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient Son of God. So powerful that in his prayer, his, his body starts sweating blood. His body almost couldn't take the intensity of the prayer ministry of Jesus. As he agonized over the fact that he would take the cup of God's wrath and be separated from the Father. And so an angel comes and ministers to him. Here's what I think the angel was doing. I don't believe the angel brought him anything because if he didn't need anything, he was self-sufficient and all-sufficient. But I believe the angel came and started to do one thing. Hebrews 1.6, it says, And when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all the angels of God do what? Worship him. I believe as Jesus on the, in the garden of Gethsemane was agonizing over the cup of God's wrath. That that angel appeared and began to worship him. And then we can imagine what the worship might have been. It's right here in Hebrews 1. It says he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But to the sun, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. And the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above all of your companions. And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain, and all, and they all will become like an old garment, and like a mantle, you will roll them up, and like a garment, they will all be changed, but you are the same, and your years will never come to an end. And in verse 13, he says, come and sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Come on, somebody. We're, we're hearing the worship that belongs exclusively to the Lamb of God. 
And I believe that on the cross, Jesus looked, that Jesus looks beyond the cross and he looks to the glory that awaits him. And he looks to the victory that awaits him. And he set his face toward Jerusalem. Because there was going to be a glorious end to his story. And I just encourage you tonight. There's a glorious end for you too. I said there's a glorious end for you too. If you will walk with him, Jesus said, if you will suffer with me, you will reign with me. Come on, somebody ought to give Jesus praise tonight. Final reason that I believe the Savior was resolute. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Despised the shame. And what did he do? He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I believe Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem. Because he knew that after Jerusalem, he would be seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Do you remember what the Bible says? The Bible says that because he humbled himself, God so highly exalted him that he gave to Jesus, not Buddha, to Jesus, not Mary, to Jesus, not Mohammed, to Jesus, not Father Abraham, to Jesus, not Kingsway Church. He gave to Jesus the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Somebody ought to give Him praise. Because he is seated tonight at the throne of majesty and power and dominion. None can question his authority. None can question his power. None can question his grace. He is the all-sufficient Savior, the Lamb of God, from before the foundations of the world.